0: Welcome back to new to medical device sales. I am your host, Jacob McLaughlin, and I'm coming to you today with our much requested guest that continues to get a lot of, I get DMs saying, can you please bring Jason back on? Because Jason has been able to come on multiple times and share so much great content, but not only there has been able to be in the industry for 20 plus years, has done pretty much everything you can imagine as well as now teaches organizations how to sell with elite execution sales consulting. So let's just get into it. Jason Elmore, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Good morning, Jacob. How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you doing today?
1: Good. Uh, just getting back from a little vacation time here in the summer season. Uh, business is good. Uh, but you and I were talking, there there are a couple of trends in the industry this week. So let's just do a quick catch up this week. Uh, just generally speaking, yeah. there's been some layoffs Yep. Um, in the bigger companies, right? There's been some reorganizations. Yep. Um, in the startup world, uh, the rise in inflation rates, the, the interesting things that are going on in the economy have caused some of the venture capital companies to pull back uh, on some of their funding for some startups. So we've seen some down rounds. So for those of you who aren't familiar with that term, uh, startup companies are obviously going through multiple rounds of funding and trying to raise money. Um, but these past four months in particular, maybe they're asking for $10 million and they get five to seven yep. three. Uh, so uh, companies are struggling a little bit to get the funding they need. And so things are starting to look a little precarious. Uh, at the same time, there's some phenomenal new technologies coming out. Right. Yeah. And, and so there's always going to be opportunities somewhere, right? Somebody's always going to, it's not a zero-sum game. That's one thing to always remember. Yep. Uh, but there's always going to be a moment where what's good for some people is bad for others. And what's bad for some people is actually good for others and it creates yes. opportunities. Um, anything else that you're hearing in the marketplace?
0: No, that's those are the big ones. The things I did just want to touch on is like for, for the point of the venture capitalists, right? With where they're pulling back funds, it's the same thing with like even companies I know in device, but even outside of device, just anybody who has a company. A lot of people are holding companies now because they were looking to sell, but now the they get an evaluation and it's so much lower, right? People aren't willing to pay what they were willing to pay 24 months ago. And so like I, I have friends who are venture capitalists and same thing. They have companies and they're like, well, it looks like we're going to hold the company for another three years, five years, right? Because... They know by if they just did it now, they could still get the money, but it would be way down compared to if they held it. And it makes sense. So yeah. just something to be aware of for everyone who is in that world. And, and just like Jason said, as we go into a recession, that's one thing that I've been very fortunate when I am talking to mentors and talking to other people that have been financially successful is everybody will see a recession or they'll see world going down. And most people will be like, oh my gosh, chicken little, the sky's falling. We're all screwed. But the people who actually get big are the ones who are like, here's my opportunity. What does the world need right now at this moment that we can go and capitalize in? Or is there something we can do better at this moment that is placed for this world? And that's where I've seen so many and had so many conversations of, you see these massive companies. A lot of these massive companies were made during uh, recessions in those times because they went and were able able to get it going during that time. And then when things came back, they were ready to go, and it just grew even faster and stronger. Yeah,
1: um, seeing the same thing, right? Uh, when the market's down, that's a buying opportunity for yep. for some people, right? And they come out stronger on the back end. Well, uh, in any of these cases, uh, in any of these situations, it's never been more important for salespeople to drive revenue, whether it's to save the company, whether it's to save their job. Uh, hold their job, right? This is a good time to be performing well. And if you're a um, if you're a fan of the Challenger Sale, you'll know that that, that book was written based on findings during the 2008 financial crisis. When everybody else was struggling, there were a group of people who were succeeding. Yep. And so, obviously, the point of this podcast is to help people succeed. So let's take a look at something here today. I love it. Um, specifically, we want to talk about selling with clinical data. Um, some people are selling capital. Some people are selling commodities. Yes. uh, But very often, the clinical data is important to the customer, right? Uh, Medical devices go to market and they have to get FDA approval and they have to do clinical trials. And so these companies are funding millions and millions of dollars in research. Unfortunately, many times as sales reps, they're not showing anybody that research. Yeah, <laughs> <Yep. laughs> like the company spent the money. The CEO's pulling his hair out because you know we spent all this money to get this great data and it's not being communicated. Yep. So there, there are a couple of realities there. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of dilemmas. The doctors do want to see the data. Yep. But when you talk to them, they're not necessarily excited, impressed, or happy with the way they've been presented the data in the past, which is giving the wrong signal to the market, to our sales reps who are misreading the signal and thinking they don't want to see the data. And they're telling them, they don't want to see the data. Yes, they do, but they need you to do it a better way. So let's talk about that a couple of things. We talked earlier about the adoption curve. Um, Innovators will jump on something simply because it's new and they will go first early adopters will jump on something because it's new and it's going to give them an advantage in the marketplace which is why they're willing to put up with your product when it only has one or two year data and the bugs aren't worked out and you don't you have maybe a code but you don't have insurance coverage okay but the 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 early majority and the rest of the mainstream market really does want you to answer five questions is it safe is it effective is it easy to use with broad applications? Is it durable? You know, is this going to last or is this going to flame out? And finally, is it financially feasible? Okay. If you know those five questions, you are way ahead of the game. And this is the key to selling with clinical data. Okay. Those five questions are, are asked about pretty much all products, not just med tech. Not oh yeah pharma but pretty much all products we, we as consumers always want to see that and there there's a lot of us in the mainstream market who won't move forward until we see that yep so if you know those are the questions here's something else i want to point out to you every medical device that comes to market every company you know creating those those devices does their research in that sequence i just described They always do a first-in-man study, and then that gets converted into a safety study. Yep. Then they do a landmark efficacy trial, randomized control perspective efficacy trial, right? And that's the one everybody hangs their hat on. Then while they're waiting for their five-year or seven-year data, their long-term data come out, in that middle period, that's when they go after further indications and expanded indications. And well, can we do this in a different site of service? We started in the OR, but now we're going to the office. Um, yep. We started out with people ages 45 to 60. Now we're expanding down to age 30, or um, yep. maybe we're going after pediatric indications for this product um, in spine. Maybe we're going after more levels, and you know we started out in lumbar. Now we're in thoracic, and th- there's just all these other things that companies will do to try to expand their market. Yep, that's where you see those kind of studies, um, and then return to work and those type of things. And then finally you you get your code and you get your coverage and, you know, you get financially feasible. Okay. So if you know, that's the case, you're ahead of the game again, you know, the five questions, and you know that every company in med tech does studies in that sequence. Let me unlock the last piece of it for you. Physicians receive training through journal clubs and other things and research that they have to do as part of their, their residency and their training, they're taught how to present clinical studies. When they go up on the podium at meetings, they present clinical data a certain way. Well, wouldn't you like to know how to do that? Because <laughs> yeah. when you do it that way, they perk up and they go, Jacob, how, you know, how, do, you, how do you know how to do that? Because you're doing it the way we do it,
0: right? I was going to say, now you're talking their language. Correct.
1: That's exactly right. So I want to give our audience that opportunity today. Okay. Yep. The second thing is this: physicians, when you when you leave them papers or you you know you present them papers, and they do ask, "Hey, can I get a copy of that?" They really do read them. Now these are people who do not have time. So you say, "Well, how did they have time to read that?" Well, they break study down very quickly because of what I'm about to show your audience. Okay. So let's yep. go there. Let me share my screen real quick.
0: All right. And you guys, why, why Jason's doing that, that I just hope like in this first five, 10 minutes that you guys are seeing the value. When I tell you that Jason's a true expert, what he just told you, what goes on and how they do their studies. I can sit here and tell you most reps never know that I can say that because I didn't know hundred percent. That was how they do every single part of the study. So again, you guys, this is a learning opportunity for myself as well. Just being with an expert like Jason. So I, I really hope you guys are taking these notes. And you guys go back and listen to this because you want to be a true expert. This is literally what Jason does for his life. He teaches people how to be really good at sales. And we just were talking about a lot of the successes he's been having with a lot of current customers. And so I just hope you guys know the gym you're getting right now. So make sure that you continue to take notes and listen.
1: <laughs> Speaking of which, if, uh, if your audience reaches out, I will gladly give them this uh, thing that we've put together here. This is free and, and they're welcome to it. But this is called effective communication with clinical literature. Okay, and this is something I've developed and that I teach in my classes. And we're gonna, what we're gonna do is we're gonna go through these nine questions, explain them, and then we're gonna go look at a specific example. I'm gonna bring up uh, the Tomei paper from one of my clients that looks at spine. So everybody knows that there's body language. We're not gonna talk about that, but you know, seven percent of your message is, is attitude. It, it's not so much what you say, but how you say it. Set that aside. When we're looking at clinical studies in particular, you need to know that you're going to break down a clinical paper looking for these things. That's how you can go fast and skim it because you know what you're looking for and you know where to find it. And you know that you're going to present this to your physician. So then we'll take a look at Tomei and break it down, but we'll keep this very simple. Here are the questions you want to ask. First of all, all every question, every study ever done was done to answer a question. So state the question. What question was this paper trying to answer? So Dr. Tomei is trying to answer the question, is barricade effective? Dr. Jones was trying to establish, is this safe? Dr. Alec was trying to demonstrate that this was actually effective in these patients and, and that we could do it in this amount of time. Whatever the question is, always state the question. Every clinical study ever was done to answer a question. So state the question. State the author. So in this case, Dr. Tomei is getting first billing. But make a note, sometimes at teaching institutions, the very influential, world-renowned person isn't first. They're dealing with residents, and the residents are doing the grunt work for this particular trial or the study, and so the world-renowned person will put their name last. So it's important that you work with your company and it's pr- important you work with your research team and figure out who's who in these papers. Who's the big name? Yep. Who's the world-renowned person? And maybe there's four or five of them that are worth noting because sometimes the power of the paper is in the name. Who was, yes. who was associated with that paper? Who are the investigators? All right, state the purpose. So the question is one thing. But the purpose is another thing. The purpose is usually in the title. So here we have annular annular closures and lumbar discectomies for prevention of re-herniation, okay? So the purpose is a little bit different than the question. The question is, is it safe? Is it effective? Is it easy to use? But a purpose is a little more formal and it's usually in the title. All right. Sometimes it'll be comparative. uh, Sometimes it'll be the landmark. uh, Sometimes it'll be investigational, State the methods. Now, number four is probably the, the one I want to draw the most attention to. You're always having to answer the question, why should I believe you? Jacob, every time you come in with a clinical study, I'm going to assume that it's making your product look good. Yep. <laughs> so no, I'm sure. already cynical. I'm already skeptical. Right. Of course, you're showing me a paper because it's yeah. making your, your your device look good. Of course, you are. Yep. Okay, so you have to acknowledge that right up front. Yep. Why should I believe you? Well, the answer is because of the methods. Look at how we did the study: yep. prospective versus retrospective, randomized, controlled, double blinded. Um, so many times people mispresent what it means to be double blinded, and so you have to dig into your study and look how it was built. And what I want to say is the easiest way to present. The concept of double-blinded is that the investigator and the operator, or it could be the evaluator and the operator, were two different people. So Jason does the, the initial assessment, Jacob does the surgery, and Jason does the follow-up. The person who did the operating doesn't do the assessing or the evaluating. Those are separate yep. people, and they're both blinded. Um, to who the patient was and, and and what surgery did they get, you know, maybe there was a control group where one person got the, the, the procedure and the other person got a placebo or didn't get surgery. Right. And then the comparator and the evaluator doesn't know which group got the operation. It's that kind of a situation. So if the operator and the evaluator are separate, that's double-blinded. Um, so dig in hard to the methods the reason you should believe me is because of how we did the study we did it to this level we went for superiority not um equality there's all these markers and ways of doing it and you want to be able to say we're bringing this technology to market responsibly we designed the study the way you would want us to do it that's a really important statement um These physicians um, are anxious to see that you're doing it the right way to the highest standards. And then there may be something really interesting about your paper in terms of methods. And one of the things that's noted here is follow-up period. Um, If we get to the end of a year and we do the follow-up, right? We did surgery and we looked at them at 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, six months, and now we're coming up on a year. And only 20% of the patients were available for follow-up at a year. That's a problem. Yep. What if you have 91% of those patients available at a year? Usually the higher the follow-up rate means the happier the patient, the more willing they are to comply with with the research. So you always want to point those things out to your doctor. The reason you should believe me is because we did it this way, this way, this way, and this way. We did this, we did this, we did this. Methods matter more than results because they're going to assume the results are good. So spend your time around methods. All right. Uh, number five, who supported it? Many times a physician will blow you up and say, well, look, Jacob, your company paid for it. Of course exactly. It's okay. So they're expecting bias because you paid for it. Yep. The best answer to that objection is, of course. Common sense. Who else was going to pay for it? Yep. <laughs> Especially in startup, right? If you get a new device and you're the first one out of the gates and nobody's ever done this before, who else was going to pay for this? Yep. That's why we spent so much time recruiting the top surgeons in your space to be the authors. That's why we designed it to the highest quality standards. That That's why I spent so much time teaching you the methods. Of course, who else was going to pay for it? So don't overthink it. That's not as bad as you think it is to be supporting your own papers. All right, summarize results. Obviously, we do want to know what the results were, right? 50% reductions in 50% of the patients or whatever it was. 91% got better you know, in three days, whatever the result was. Number seven is probably the second most important thing you need to do with clinical papers. Never allow a physician to be the one to point out a flaw in your paper. Yep. Never do that. You are on the back foot. You're digging, you're digging out from a hole now. Have you I ever run into say, this situation?
0: Oh, of course. Yeah. Cause like they'll come at you now. They're like, because usually what I've seen in my experience, oh, you're trying to trick me or you're trying to pull one over on me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So forthright is always the best policy, but this is also critical. When you point, or when you're the one to point out the weaknesses or the flaws in the study, you get to make flaws a feature.
0: Yes, and you control the conversation.
1: That that's huge. Uh, I'll give you an example of that in the paper we're going to look at here in a second. But remember, flaws need to be features, and I'll show you how to do that in a second. Provocative facts. um, Every study has a little something that's really provocative. So find it, point it out. uh, You know, you want an aha moment it's, it's, it's op- there's opportunities there. And then finally state the implications. So based on this research, based on the findings of your, of your peers, based on what Dr. Tomei demonstrated, based on what Dr. Jones demonstrated, can you see why this is important for you to be offering to your patients? Can you see why we need, All right? So close it that way. Let's take a look at some of these examples. Okay. So uh, this happens to be a paper looking at uh, the barricade spinal implant device for um, herniated discs. Um, Dr Tomei right here is the author he's the lead researcher but note how many researchers there are yep that's strength in a paper if the result is is the re- if it's a result of multiple contributors that tells a surgeon oh it wasn't just a small group of elite surgeons at an elite institution everybody's getting this result yep so anybody can get this including myself Obviously, you want to find out where these people are from. So Dr. Tomei is in Innsbruck, Austria. You want to know where that person is. And so that's always listed. All these authors are listed in a corresponding note here. The date, the journal matters. So here, this is the spine journal. So some journals are more uh, prestigious than others. You want to make a note of, of the journal and where it is. And obviously, you want to note the date. So this is 2018. Um specifically you always get an abstract summary so that's what's here at the bottom if you want a quick note and a quick like okay what's this about what am i going to be looking for why should i read this paper it's summarized here in the abstract so a couple things to note about this paper the design this is a multi-center randomized superiority trial now that's very very interesting Um, when you go for superiority you're putting all the chips on the table you're not saying, hey, we're, we're going to be as good as, you're saying we we have to achieve really high marks and we got to be much better than it's It's a totally different game. And so this particular company paid for this research and it's prospective. So you, you don't get to claim it on the back end. You have to claim it on the front end. You have to go in thinking, no, I really think we can outperform everything else and this company managed to do it. Um, the outcome measures are all here to your follow-up. Uh, Endpoints. That's great. The size of the study, so the n. Now, this study had a control group, so there were 276 patients that got the implant, and 278 that did not. That's a very large study, and so when we talk about p-values and statistical significance, always, always make a note of it. How many patients did we need to achieve statistical significance? And in, in, in surgery, in particular, it's 20, 30, 50, maybe 100. In pharmaceuticals, it can be thousands, like 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 patients, just to show like a 5% difference between this and something else. But in surgery with implants, typically it's a much, much lower number. It's less than 100. So to see a a study here with over 500 patients, point that out. That's huge. That's strength. you you strengthened your paper. So I've got a lot of um, contributing surgeons, a lot of patients. A very good statistical analysis is about to happen here. So make sure you're pointing all those things out. Um, This paper had a flaw. I want to get there really quickly to bring this to the attention. Let me see where I can find it. It's back here in the results. Um, So it's pointing out that this device actually improved patients' pain and results, and less reoperations due to reherniations. But it also says that several patients actually had to be reoperated on five in particular. Okay, so that's actually here. It says, "Oops." Uh, therefore, um, in four patients allocated to the implant was not attempted. Five patients were unsuccessful. Now, here's the thing: we learned from those five that weren't successful and we changed the technique and this came back in a five-year study and it came back in a more recent study where the authors were noting the change in the training the change in the technique yep and this is where you get to say hey we learned some things here we learned that you have to do it this way you have to be careful of this angle you have to be careful of this size you have to be careful of this patient profile Um, in this case it had to do with some osteoporosis and some other indicators But you can honestly go to your customer that you're in front of right now and say, hey, we learned from this. So you take your flaw and turn it into a feature. Yep. Okay. Now in this paper, they also have something that's super helpful. And if it's there, (laughs) make sure you touch on it. At the end of this paper, in the discussion section, where they're talking about the implications, they also state that when comparing patient outcomes from sites where the principal investigator reported financial relationship with the study sponsor versus those with no relationship, there were no differences in the study conclusions. So among those authors, some of them were being supported and some of them were not. There was no difference between the two. So going back to that thing of financial support and, oh, your company supported it, there can be a lot of things in these papers like that. There's also in the discussion sections, some of those intriguing and, and, and unique points that we talked about earlier, those are all in here and you should find them, highlight them now, one thing to note, uh, you are not allowed to give uh, papers, like if you have it printed and you give it to a doctor, it cannot be highlighted. You cannot circle anything. You can't mark it up in any way. Yep. But for your own sake, and to be effective in those two to three minutes that you're going to get, you should mark it up. And then what I do is at the top, you can see here, I've written jason's copy and they say hey can i get a copy of that and say actually as you can see this is my copy but yes i will get you a clean copy so i've gone in i've highlighted i've marked it all up i've numbered it i have seven or eight things i want to talk about that and i have one two three four and i go through until i've hit all eight mine's all marked up and it's got my name on it and so i can say yes i am actually going to get you this paper but as you can see this this is my copy i will get you a clean one and so you don't get yourself in trouble because there there are rules against that you cannot mark them up and then leave them behind that's problematic so just to review articulate the question why did they do this study what question they were were they trying to solve were the authors of significance point them out what was the purpose of this particular study state the methods why should i believe you if you sponsored the paper don't be afraid of that summarize the results very quickly and succinctly be the one to point out the flaws. Make sure they become features. State the provocative facts. You know, what did they do and why did they do it that way? And, and were there some interesting patients that, the, and, and did the authors say something interesting in the discussion? And then finally, tie it all back. So what? So what? Yep. You just spent two minutes introducing this, but so what? And the last thing you always want to do, and this is a big mess, when you walk out from this meeting my only question when we get to the car is going to be this did you get any commitments out of that surgeon yep you took time to present new information you took time to teach them something but did you get any commitments for anything did they commit to offering your product to a new patient population did they all agree to go to do more trainings did they change their site of service did, like, did you get any commitments to any activity based on those couple minutes where you shared that new information. We said this earlier, physicians actually do want to see the data. They're not real excited about the way we as med tech reps are presenting it all the time, right? They're not impressed. And so they're giving us the vibe that they don't want to see data, but that's not true. When you do it this way, you will make a tremendous impression and you'll be surprised at the discussion that you start. It usually turns into a really healthy discussion, and then you yep. can ask for commitment. Yep. So um, this uh, worksheet is free. You guys can uh, reach out to me and, and ask for it. Um, and then if you want to take the opportunity to go through a paper, like okay, let's go. Let, let's let's get together. Let's let's break down a paper really quickly and see what you've got, and then go out there and actually use it. Use the papers.
0: I love that and I, again guys this is the thing me and Jason talk about this off air just like how willing he is to continue to come in and help you guys and you know every time he gets a gets people reaching out he'll send me a screenshot and we just love seeing being able to help people and that's what this has all been about and so again like we always tell you i hope this episode if you guys are a rep in the industry and just remember if you're not a rep in the industry you will be and how you could be able to transition and be able to use this as a leverage point as you're going through that interview process of understanding But we always say, do the job to get the job. And if you can understand and be able to talk to certain things, it can help you stand out. So I just hope you guys know how special we are and how how lucky we are to have someone so special like Jason to be able to come on this podcast, spend his time to give you guys this valuable tips that he literally gets paid to do and that he's giving it to you guys free. And then when you guys reach out to him, he actually will get on a call with you. So I really hope you guys do take what he's saying to heart and really utilize the resources because he is an expert that is able to go as you guys can see because i learned several things on that podcast today and i was taking notes on my phone so i just hope you guys were taking (laughs) notes as well because it's only to help you so again jason thank you because that was awesome
1: yeah yeah and i do want to double down on something you said earlier i love your audience the text messages that we get and the dms we get on linkedin that we trade back and forth like um I really do appreciate people who are striving to get into this industry. They're working hard, they're hustling. And then the other thing is we're talking to a lot of people who are already in, like they just yes. broke in and, they, and they're starting to learn some of stuff. And this is helping them in the field. And they're sending you and me messages like, I did it. Like I, you know. So that's keep sending those it. messages. Those are hugely encouraging to both of us and we love it.
0: We love it. And this is the thing I always just tell you guys, because the number one thing I've heard, and I actually just had a talk with one of our course members. They're actually going with a giant W-2 a company that everybody knows. And then it was actually a distributorship. And then they're like, well, I should, of course, go with the big company because it's got the best. And that was where we had a real honest conversation is don't get fooled. And I'm not saying that they're not great trainings, but don't get fooled just because somebody has a lot of money and there's a lot of resources that you're going to get this amazing training of being the best sales rep in the world. Because just like anything, they can fall short. Like I, I have always been transparent as like, my first several weeks in the industry, my field sales trainer was nowhere, right? The person who's supposed to be coaching me in that aspect, right? So the reason I'm just always saying that is because so many people will be like, oh, I only can go to the big big dogs and the big companies and that's the only place I'm going to actually get it. And what you just saw is like, Jason's working with med tech startups with smaller companies, but the training he's giving them is these big companies, I can sit here and tell you, are not teaching what Jason just said. And that's what can help you stand out And it goes back to my whole reason I'm saying this to you guys is my whole time on this podcast, why we made this podcast is I've always wanted you guys to break in and have the most success. And if you're willing to put in the work and willing to go do it, this is something that can change your life. And if you're willing to put in the time, you can continue to be the best version of you. And that's what Jason is continuing to do here is being able to show you guys how to actually be really successful at selling, how to actually be able to stand out against other people and how to have a successful career. So you can and go achieve what you want. Because again, like you said, we love getting the messages, but I wanted to state that just because you guys are going to, there's these different companies. Don't, don't get in your head that one company is way better than another company because of the sales, right? There's different trainings and different everything. And this is just a perfect example. Of like this is what Jason does for a living. And you can tell that he's a true expert in having someone as a resource like that. You can see where companies are actually hitting, like we talked about off air before they worked with him, weren't hitting quotas. Now they haven't missed since working with him. And so just being able to understand that.
1: Awesome. All right. Well, blessings. And uh, it was good talking to you. Congratulations. Great talking to you. Yeah. And blessings to your audience. Awesome.
0: We will see you guys on the next one. Again, if you guys haven't pressed that like and subscribe button, if you guys haven't, please Jason, real quick, you have a channel, where can they find you on YouTube?
1: Uh, Elite Execution. Yeah. If you type it in and then there's a website with links, if you go to Elite, uh, Elite Execution sales.com. Yeah. So make sure to
0: go check that out. You guys, again, that press and the like, and subscribe helps us at the podcast. If you can give us a five-star review, it helps us grow this channel. If you guys are really interested in breaking into medical device sales, again, we only allow five people into the course. Our average person's breaking in at this current moment and under 10 weeks at 9.8 weeks at $91,000. If you are interested, there's a link down in the description. You can apply for it. We'll get on a call. We can go into more details, answer any questions and see if it's a good fit for both of us. Uh, So I really appreciate you all watching and I hope you have a great week. Peace.